you have a lamp that is lit, then jalta diya hi, ye koi jala sakta. Why do we all come here? Because there is a lamp that is lit. We can light our lamp from that lamp. Portion, portion. Which I should be prepared. Die for it, kill for it if I have to, but I will. Not a piece of the earth, not a dead piece of the earth. It is a finish.
Boom, boom, boom. I'm afraid it's a uh, bog standard uh, setup, everyone. And uh, I'm hoping this pared down uh, version with basic, basic bitch webcams and mics is going to work, make for a more smooth stream. Um, I will look in the chat if people could just confirm to me that everything sounds okay. Just a thumbs up in the comments would be uh, fantastic after I bring the comments back, but um, it won't let me chat with my VPN on. Ah, I don't know what to tell you. Love, Yeshua. Um, 
we live in strange strange times and it's, uh, it's hard to do this sort of across two computers and but um hear and see me that's great and um i think this will be a, a, well maybe short maybe short but um i was uh well charles was listening in on jonathan's stream and i saw that he was streaming about uh ryan cole and um so i thought that i would watch that and we have a cooey spiral about the um the nature of amyloidosis protein misfolding and the uh the very um constrained way in which he's constructing hypotheses at the moment um it's i don't care about you and um it's just as long as everything works it looks uh sweet as it does it looks much better and it's smooth um i'm not using the large camera etc and the cam link it's just basic basic webcam basic mic um i can't hear myself through this setup but um we will make do folks we will make do so um let us uh delve into this because we're gonna have to watch a bunch of video and i want to at least cover one paper because there were just some calumnies being made by jay that just um i i feel they need addressing um at a scientific level um looks and sounds sharp nice 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 and um i do have uh the payment screen active as well that i can check for donors as they come in and uh let's uh let's move on so wondered in here and wondered who i am that's me dr kevin mccann systems neuroscientist finding myself now part of um a rag tag resistance trying to uh fight back against what is ah just tyranny in general so uh that's my that's my raison d'etre at the moment and we are making headway and uh fans of the stream will know that uh, commander rixie is with me he's jet lagged and out of it at the moment i i crashed out earlier this evening and just i'm awake so i thought i would stream and of course a bit of housekeeping um i still haven't fixed the streaming on this page i blame that tax raiding bleak um but uh if you would like to become a patron you're more than welcome to but what the doc really loves is if you get wtyl.live tip jar or the paypal link down below and of course that goes to recently added hey refresh um our own video on demand streaming platform there we go there's even five people watching on there um i can't get the chat integrated at the moment so you'd have to forgive me for that particular um how should i say but we're we're basic bit streaming uh in a forward forward operating base so let's get to the episode in question which is um jay trying to deconstruct um ryan cole's interpretation of the pathology and the um 
I would say extant data that we've come to understand about SARS, um, about protein misfolding. Um, why do I spend a lot of my time focused on that? Because I think that they were deliberately leveraging protein misfolding as a uh, basically a weapon of war, a weapon of control. And um, we're going to be dealing with the consequences for quite some time. But uh, in, in QE fashion, suddenly, suddenly protein misfolding doesn't seem to be a real thing. That was the gist I was getting as I was listening to his uh, breakdown of uh, Ryan Cole. And let's, let's just dive straight in. Uh, Church of Epi in the house. Good to see you, bro. Mm -hmm. ah, generator in the chat as well uh, 99 sources for discussing all the shit show of LMP uh, I presume that's pseudouridine and GB spike yes yes um, indeed I just sent a message actually generate to David at his last substack I, I haven't read all of it but um, I do think we should stream about it that way it'll save me having to read it but it looked uh it looked fascinating so man there's ants everywhere what you get for being in the countryside right all right let's uh let's move on and hope i can hear this and hope that the levels are not too soon that too quiet patterns in the red blood cell counts, the white blood cell counts, the platelet counts. So during COVID, the way before the shots rolled out, I noticed there was uh, strange changes in blood parameters. And then it was confirmed under the microscope as well. But fascinatingly, when the shots rolled out, uh, I saw an increase of clotting under the microscope, as, as did many of my pathology colleagues who didn't speak out, but would speak in private circles. And we would communicate and they would say, hey, you know, it's interesting. You know, I'm seeing all these microclots in this organ and that organ. So early on, we knew that COVID was a clotting disease. And and more than anything, everybody would hear about the ground glass and the lungs and the odd radiology appearance, but really that spike protein from the virus, as well as the spike protein that the body produces after these gene-based injections, or even from the protein-based Novavax, that spike protein is a clotting agent. So our agencies that chose to push forward with a, a quote vaccine program chose the wrong protein. This protein causes platelets to clump. And those are the little tiny microscopic band-aids in your blood that when you scrape your knee, they form that nice little patch so the bleeding stops. So it, that spike protein causes platelets to clump, it causes red blood cells to clump. But even in the absence, so you can take all those platelets away. There's a wonderful colleague in South Africa, Dr. Reza Pretorius. Uh, I'm sorry it's playing so fast. Um, but uh, basically, what he was talking about was, um, of course, uh, disseminated systemic coagulopathy. That's how we should be defining SARS. And um, see, this joke is Jay's stupid proline argumentation. You'll knock your ass off. You bumped it with seven papers. Um, I haven't seen it. Like I say, uh, I was. I'm, I'm doing my best to keep up with stuff, but. Um, Ryan Cole has just laid out the basics with respect to the pathology of SARS. Now, in Jay's world, um, that pathology must be incredibly limited to where they've released the clones and then the clones wash away. And um, coagulopathy has always been with us every, uh, every winter season. And um, we're only now just picking it up. Um, I don't buy that line of argumentation. And she and Dr. Kell out of the UK and Dr. Jordan Vaughan out of Alabama, they did a bunch of studies showing that if you take 
even platelet poor plasma and put the spike protein in, it will cause proteins to clump as well. So it's it, it's not just you know the platelets clumping, it's proteins clumping. And, and this is a very, very important point to take home uh, from the Bristoria study, is that when they say platelet, platelet poor plasma, essentially it's just albumin and other peptides that you get there for osmotic pressure, etc. And um, it's causing amyloidogenic cascades. Now, what I think Jay is going to try and argue is, is that uh, it's nothing special um, to SARS, which um, we'll delve into that. And um, he makes some calumnies that I think and like I said earlier, need addressing. It's unusual amounts of protein clumping. And thankfully, you know, was this happening in everybody? No, there were a lot of predisposing conditions as everybody's heard about, but, but that's what was highly concerning is we had a very, what we call thrombogenic or clot causing protein. And so, you know, I, I got smeared into me for using the word clot shot early on, but we knew even the FDA withdrew J&J &J because they were having clotting problems. And if we look in the adverse event reporting systems around the world, Moderna and Pfizer have more clots than J&J &J or even the AstraZeneca uh, shot did. So the primary process of COVID of this, as protein from SARS-CoV-2 is inflammation of the blood vessels, which would lead to secondary clotting. It's really, really a concerning new pattern as far as certain viruses go. So um, there's a couple of good questions in the chat. I just want to, I'm thinking along with you, of course. Um, I've wavered back and forth between this question of whether or not the spike protein is part of the Scooby-Doo, or if it actually does have. <laughs> uh, whether the spike is part of the Scooby-Doo. Um, I mean, we, we, there are labs across the world demonstrating its biological activity. Um, and like I said, the Pristoria studies um, are beautiful examples of um, not super sophisticated equipment, just uh, inquisitive mind and um, the, uh, the, the ability to find these, um, these reactions. But let us... Let's move on. So the spike is Scooby-Doo. Biological function that is beyond the average fusion protein. So I'm still working on the slide set, but I am working on a slide set where we're going to look at a few papers which look at different purported fusion proteins of different types of viruses. And what you will see is that there are, are conserved mechanisms by which these purported binding proteins work in these various, um, in their various manifestations. But there's a certain conserved aspect of their function that seems to be conserved across even viral types if you talk to the right virologist. So I find this rather curious, um, and it it may be a misinterpreted signal again, this this homogeneity in 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 mechanism by which these 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 membrane binding proteins are, are coming together and bringing two membranes together. I suspect that this is more a signal of these not being exclusively pathogens, but some kind of endogenous signal that for many, many years we've confused with or or misinterpreted as a pathogenic signal rather than an immunological signal or even a, a simple um, waste and, and, and recycling system. But I think it's far less likely that it's as simple as cells disposing of, of things that they could as just as easily recycle. Well, um, that was, uh, I haven't watched Jay in a long time, so uh, I'm not um, completely, and uh, <laughs> you perhaps can't look well. Funny. Um, the it almost sounds to me like he's saying that these uh, viral pathogens are um, intrinsic to 
the body and their um Therefore, well, it seems to be falling into the realm of the no virus people that everything is uh, generated internally. It's just uh, exosomes. Um, we know that that's patently nonsense. And I think that's the best argument for this, this signaling regime of exosomes and vesicles and, and circulating RNA and DNA in, in, in vesicles. It's not likely that this is waste material. It's simply because why not just recycle it then? Why why excrete material that could be recycled? Why leave this up to your immune system to clean up rather than it being a relevant signal that, that other, other cells are waiting to receive? So in this case, again, I just want to be very clear that a the spike protein is being overemphasized in terms of its uniqueness. And so I have and the big um Let's be, let's be very clear here. I think that the spike protein is the subject of much investigation. One, because of the fingerprint of uh, laboratory manipulation. That, that is one of the most crucial elements. And it's, you know, it's one of the more dynamic proteins in the SARS virus. So people are always looking for... Um, variants of concern, where all the mutation is happening, etc. And um, what immune pressure have we put on it, etc, etc. Um, but uh, um, I don't want to be second guessing, I just want to get to the point where um, he mentions, mentions little old me. Biggest questions that I have in my mind and the things that stick in my, in my uh, teeth, so to speak, in terms of, of really feeling like we're not getting the right story yet is that I don't think that the particular protein that they choose matters as much as the whole methodology of transfection itself. If um, I, I would say there's a massive um, logical uh, failure there. Hang on, let me I've got to mute something real quick. It is muted. Um, damn, damn telegram made me forget what I was saying. What was Jay just saying? Oh, yes. Um, just he, he's talking about uh, just transfection being the problematic technique, and I would say that the the fact that we get overlapping pathologies between viral infection versus uh, amyloidogenic exposure through the spike protein tells us that, um, that, that there's something different to, or there's similar mechanisms and the gene transfection is not unique in that respect. So um, I, I'm not sure, again, I'm not sure where he's going. He's uh, turning somewhat into a science nonsense machine at the moment questions that i have in my mind and the things that stick in my in my uh teeth so to speak in terms of of really feeling like we're not getting the right story yet is that i don't think that the particular protein that they choose matters as much as the whole methodology of transfection itself if you expressed what somebody would list as an almost completely safe protein membrane bound safe protein with no amyloid 
or no uh, pre-anogenic potential, no nothing. You just edit it to be perfectly benign, and then you transfected somebody in the same manner. I have the feeling that many of the same, the, many of the same sort of pathologies, well, amyloidogenic cascades, um, when you're putting in essentially an endogenous protein, um, I would I would beg to differ, and the um, these are, I mean, you can hypothesize what you want, but you, you've got to be grounded somewhat in the actual biology itself, and there are there are known epitopes that we know are inherently reactive and dangerous and expressing those will contribute to the pathology um, of the disease and I, I i know i think i know where he's going to go now so cascades of events that occur and result in the the various what we're now called vaccine injuries or or transfection injuries is what we really should call them these would be the same and so we need to work very hard to not let people confuse us into thinking that the protein is the toxin. And so if we had chosen a different protein, you heard him say it, and I know some people in the chat heard him say it, we chose the wrong protein. It's something that I warned you about almost two years ago when I said that these people who are overhyping the spike protein. Now, um, you can look at many of the primary peptides in SARS, and there, there are... I say numerous studies, but there are studies out there demonstrating that they have amyloidogenic potential. You have to be very, very careful in these circumstances when thinking that you can just select a protein because you think it might have useful epitopes um, until you've done the safety studies. Now, um, the I would. You know, it's an easy, it, it should be relatively easy to test. Um, a endogenous benign protein that um, if you analyze it to look for problematic peptide sequences, that um, it will cause less harm than a uh, foreign peptide that comes from uh, a viral uh, repertoire and is designed to um, aid in the ability of the virus to um, propagate and continue its lineage. I thought already, there's got to be a reason why they're all being coached to do it. And I do think that there is a... So, oh yes, we're all being coached to do this, by the way. And um, this this looks very much like the... Um, fingerprint of a sort of paranoid schizoid type thinking um i'm i'm being coached am i um this is possibility in the grand scheme of things that this hype of the spike protein is a sort of bait and switch with the idea of trying to get you to think that oh no it's the dna in the shots that caused everybody to have injuries oh no it's the wrong protein they shouldn't have chosen it Oh no, these wrong epitopes. And in reality, it wouldn't matter what viral protein they chose. It is the methodology that is not fit for purpose, as again, Michael Eden and many others have pointed out. It doesn't really matter.
uh, Michael Eden, who is saying that there's no uh, no SARS virus. That Michael Eden. What foreign protein you express as a membrane-bound protein, it's not going to provoke the. Wait. So now it's foreign. He was saying any peptide, any peptide. So I would say an endogenous peptide, one that potentially you're missing for some reason, um, is likely to be safer. Now, you know, every peptide has to be checked for its amyloidogenic profile. This is something that we've known about in neuroscience for a long time. And like I say, before SARS came along, there was a number of primary candidates that we were not particularly myself, but the molecular biologists in my domain that we were working with the viral hypothesis that um, idiopathic Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, etc., was a consequence of a lifetime of viral exposure to amyloids. Immune system in the way that these very unimaginative and very shallow in understanding biologists claim that it will. That's what we really need to get at. So I'm not suggesting that, that Ryan is behaving dishonestly here. I'm just saying that he may be, again, have been in too many private meetings and too many private discussions with the wrong people who are pushing this idea that this toxin expressed in a transfection is the reason why all this stuff is happening. And if we'd have chosen anything else, it wouldn't be happening. Um, this, this seems a kind of straw man argument. Um, you know, there's plenty of evidence about the lipid nanoparticle just being dangerous in and of itself. Um, of course, go watch the streams I've done with Christy Grace. And the... Um, I'm not sure what he's trying to do here. Like, uh, carve out carve out a space of um, all, all lipid nanoparticle, all gene transfection bad. I'm more circumspect in how I would approach this technology. Um, it could be in some instances where you're working closely with the physician and they've, they've certainly accrued tons of data in the last three years that they can tune these things for more um, idiosyncratic type diseases, um, genetic disorders, etc. So I would be very careful about writing off the technology as a whole. Should it be used um, as a vaccine technology where you would you would express peptides that would you know generally most uh, or not most but a, a good proportion of viral peptides are problematic it is something that's studied routinely in the um in the neurosciences in neurology and i think at least according to sukrit bhakti that's incorrect because the clotting is occurring because of the way that this transfection occurs in the endothelium of capillaries and small vessels. But the Pistorius study shows you that you, you can get this amyloidogenic clot when there's no platelets. Just when there's protein floating around, you can add in spike protein and the, the S1 subunit in particular, and you will form these uh, amyloid aggregations. It's not dependent on the reactions with course reactions with 
um, endothelium are going to be um, problematic. Um, <laughs> you should take the jab and show us how much Scooby Dunny is. Yeah, well, I don't want harm on Jay. Just um, there's uh, look. It just it's it's odd that he's um, firing in all directions and the uh, well. We've I've spent a lot of time with Charles um, discussing how a lot of what he's saying. Um, is just conjecture. It's not. It's not backed up by the extant data. And uh, again, I get the feeling that um, if anyone's been in a meeting, it's been Jay, and they've been they've told him start spitting out nonsense to try to confuse people. And when those endothelial cells express a foreign protein, then the immune system comes along and destroys them, and in so doing, releases the fibrous material that they are composed of, this fibrin or fibrinogen, I'm gonna get those two mixed up, but the point is, is that that's where the material that comes from, or is composed of these interesting things that are found in people's veins, that's where it comes from. It comes from the- Yeah, that the Pistorius study shows that, I mean, that could be one way, but it's not the only way. And this, this gets into the inherent um, toxicity of these amyloidogenic um, epitopes. Epitopes in the last discussion I had with Charles, where the um, we know that they've got databases. Uh, that's why Charles talks about Beck Corber, um, the Lawrence Livermore lab, and the in a in a bioweapons paradigm, you have to think that they've managed to get down to the most fundamental pieces that you need and can put them into positions where they're likely to cause um, these amyloidogenic cascades. Destruction of endothelial cells and then the clotting and the interaction between those systems in the vessels. And so it doesn't matter what protein you express in those endothelial cells, if the neutrophils come along and destroy them with, I think the enzyme elastase is one of the enzymes that they use, then the five... What protein? Is it farm protein or an endogenous protein? I think seems to be getting a bit confused here. Chick uh, <laughs> says, who's that angry transgendered native guy? Uh, Touche, bro. <laughs> fibrinogen is digested to fibrin, or fibrin is digested to fibrinogen, and then you have these, these small fibers floating around and could be in mass quantities depending on how bad it is that your transfection locates in these vessels that's what's important and uh, uh, again neutered by Pistorius's study no um no platelets no cells just just protein and you trigger you trigger that amyloidogenic cascade and we've got to be careful so careful so that's 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 actually a huge huge mistake that he's making here uh, let's see, you have to take five possible pathogenic mechanisms into account, the downstream effects, the clotting effects directly caused by spike, amyloid clotting, possibility of RNA clot if leaked into blood, and then you have GP120 effects too, yes, yes, and this all comes down to reactive epitopes, etc, and how, how much effort has gone in over the last, poof, 
well, generations to catalogue and um, pull them, pull them into something like SARS, where it becomes a um, tuned, hyper-tuned incapacitation agent with potentially the gene transfection acting as a binary component. That we don't allow people to convince us that transfection is okay if we just choose the right thing. Because transfection is, is, is really, really clumsy at this stage in the technology. And I don't know if they can ever make it any less clumsy than it already is. Clumsy is a great word for it. Okay, sorry. No, no, no. By Scooby-Doo, he means the shift in the narrative to focus on only Spike as being problematic. Him and Mark, who's tonic, want people to focus on the flaws of transfection technology. I think their argument is, is that if you concede on the point that mRNA is being accurately translated into Spike protein, then they win because it means the technology works. Well, I don't think anyone's um, saying that it's a 100% accurate um, technique. And, um, you know, there are, there are already FDA approved, Medical Council approved gene therapies available. So that kind of tells you that the technology exists as a um, therapeutic. My, my concern right now, um, rather than worrying about the uh, the potential future of um, genetic or gene therapies um, would be to focus on the fact that they, what we're dealing with is a weaponization of a more fundamental biology. And um, the impression I get from Jay is that uh, we're, we shouldn't worry about uh, viruses because they're just um, they're clones that burn out. I'm not sure that the evidence supports that. Again, go see a lot of the streams I've done with Charles. Um, I don't think I don't think what he's saying here makes much sense uh, with respect to uh, the. Um, it, he, he's maybe suggesting one mechanism by which you can get. Uh, protein folding cascade or misfolding cascade but again the work of Pistorius has already shown him to be wrong um, let's see uh, let's see JC knows spike is bad he said it multiple times but he would argue that spike is bad because of how it signals the immune system and not how necessarily has a pathogenic effect does that make sense um, well can't have um, one, one without the other, and actually the um, the issue around amyloidogenic cascades is that they can be um, subtle uh, or surreptitious in their actions, such that once the initial insult has, um, so say spike protein the immune system comes along, tackles the spike protein, but because it's already started the amyloidogenic cascade, the immune system moves on and the tissue still, still continues down a disease pathway.
does that make sense? We're all fighting for the same thing, ultimately from just different angles when it comes to the transfection. Well, it just comes down to um, how Jay has um, comported himself. And oh, you'd say, oh, okay, you're terrible. You comport yourself in horrible ways. Um, I'm, I do a lot of this for entertainment. Um, the, but the science I do is pretty solid. And you've got you've to be able to bring data, not conjecture. That's, that's the issue here. And like I say, we already have licensed gene therapies. And, you know, maybe, maybe they'll decide that lipid nanoparticles is not the way to go. Um, I don't think so, looking at the investments that they're making. Um, catch up in the chat a little bit. Um, he's projecting, dumbass. Yeah. Uh, my nigger, Simon, good to see you, bro. Um, whole confusion being with it, almost like human protein is the evil genius level engineering work. Do we need any JC zingers today? Um, do I, how do I get to those? Ah, I'll do it. Um, I don't have any stingers set up, bro. So, um, Kev and JC just think that different things are more important than others. Um, no, let's, let's be very clear that he's, um, he thinks that there, um, there was only a limited um, release of clones and because we instituted mass PCR that we've picked up a signal that was already there. But if that's the case, um, where was all the um, the clotting disorders and the distinct um, disease profile that's associated with SARS-CoV-2? Where was all that in the past? And, you know, it's pretty it's pretty clear when you speak to clinicians that they're They'll say, yeah, we're dealing with um, something uh, very, very different to that of the flu. And um, that man, um, I bit my tongue for a long, long time just about um, what Jay was doing. As a neuroscientist, he could he could have been putting effort into, you know, help help get to the bottom of the protein or in the neurological side, the, the impact of these um, toxic epitopes. Uh, let's see. JC thinks spike is bad, but doesn't think it's as important as the fact that transfection technology is bad. I think what JC and Mark are doing is fine. We can do two things at once. I talk and how spike and transfection are bad simultaneously. Look, um, I've said, and I continue to say, um, that we don't know so we've got a good idea about the symptom profile of um, SARS uh, we've got some idea with respect to adverse events and gene transfection and we don't know what the synergistic effect is now you know I could get to this paper the viral fusogens but um, where they kind of demonstrate that their proline locks spike doesn't lead to fusion, but um, it's it's a bit of a complex paper, and I more want to focus on this one: controversial properties of amyloidogenic proteins and peptides. Um, so I want to read that after we're done with um, listening to Jay. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt so long, but I wanted to start out with something interesting. 
Why do you think the AstraZeneca and J&J &J vaccines didn't cause the same level of clotting? Uh, recently also JC was attacking Kevin McKernan a bit. That might inform us a little bit on where he's at. Yeah, because Jay is engaged in constant purity tests now. That's, that's what he's doing. And it looks, it looks very, very odd. Um, please make a short list on who he hasn't been attacking. Um, yeah, I mean, he's very problematic, but he makes good points sometimes. I'm still invested in GC, JC, but I'm an idiot. Um, he's, he's just getting a lot of stuff wrong. That's the problem. And we don't have time or space to be making these types of errors. Uh, it, it boils down to that. As the mRNAs, because... Uh... It's because the J&J &J vaccines... I think it's maybe because the J&J &J vaccines, by their design... I, I don't even know if I can say this. Were the J&J &J vaccines also intramuscular? Yes. Yes, they were. And they still caused a um, expression of spike protein. Um, it may have been a more effective way of making spike protein, considering the technology that it was using was far more um, stable, or, or, or well understood, I would say. But, you know, they got pulled because of the thrombocytopenia and the people getting um, cranial clots. Um, this, and, you know, that's a genetic engineering approach as well to trying to um, induce immunity. And I'm, I'm skeptical of it. But then I know loads of people that had Johnson and Johnson vaccines and are fine. So, um, wearing a Mossad shirt and then an RFK Jr. shirt is chutzpah. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think he quite gets the history of what went down there. Um, That's one question I have. Okay, let's hear what he says. Um, from my understanding, those two vaccines, J&J, &J, AstraZeneca, those are the adenovector virus, the adenovector uh, vaccines, right? So that's, it's similar that it, it, it's injecting the, the message of spike protein to make spike, pro, spike proteins in your system, right? But it's just done through a different methodology. mRNA does it one way and these other vaccines do it another, but they're still telling your body to make spike vaccines, uh, spike um, proteins, unlike uh, other types of vaccines, more traditional vaccines that don't tell your body to actually make uh, the spike protein. So if they're both saying do this, why, why, do, you think, why, why do you think the mRNAs were more powerful? I'd give Kim Iverson one. It's uh, not a bad-looking chick. What can I say? I mean, Charles were rating chicks earlier. I rank him up there. Um, you're correct. So they are slightly different methodologies. So those adenovirus vector um, injections, they would use what we call complementary DNA. The advantage of that is it doesn't persist in the body like the mRNA does. So the synthetic mRNA in the Pfizer Moderna, and we know from studies by Dr. Rolkin out of Sanford, uh, would persist in the body for at least two months, the mRNA itself in many patients, and would continue to make spike protein. Whereas the adenovirus vector shots would make a big burst of spike protein for a window of time, and then it would taper off. 
And in those two, with those adenovirus vector um, shots, what we tended to see was the body would form an autoimmune antibody against your own platelets um, called platelet factor number four. And when that would happen, you'd have an autoimmune attack, then your platelets would clump and you would form big clots. So we heard about these cavernous venous uh, thromboses. You know, that's this area where blood will pool on the top of the brain and the top of the skull. And so you'd form a big clot and then blood would hemorrhage around that. So that's why J&J &J was pulled early when we saw many women pass away from this process. I'm not sure that I, in my memory, although I guess it's not perfect, in my memory, the platelet factor four story was actually also about the mRNA and the mRNA. Um, uh, I know for sure that we've looked at papers on this stream where early lipid nanoparticle applications were specifically for platelets because that's where they tended to go. And selling the scientific benefit or the scientific usefulness of lipid nanoparticles as a transfection agent early on was based on two targets, the liver, because that's where they ended up, and platelets, because that's what ended up taking them and getting transfected by them. So I find it very curious. Um, and again, I just, I wanna say how much confusion there is in this space. And this is one of the, the brightest and sharpest people that we have on our team right now. And I feel as though even he, I, I think he's got a better- Oh God, he's been Scooby-Dooed. He's been Scooby-Dooed by amyloidogenic peptides. <laughs> I'm going to default to the idea that Dr. Cole probably has a better understanding than I do of some of these and many of these, uh, yeah. these issues, um, with the exception of maybe the the debate about the, the whole virus, no virus, and, and that whole debate about PCR and stuff like that. But with the regard to the immune system... Yeah, I do, I do find it kind of funny that uh, Jay was uh, trying to ride their pole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. He just got shit on. Just, just listen to me and uh, take off and nuke him from orbit. It was it was bizarre how he was filating them. Um, you know that's that's when I think back. That was the majority of my streaming early on. It was just closing down the space of Kaufman and those individuals, the no virus. That was a very deliberate psychological operation designed to get in there. It throws a lot of people off the scent and um, they're, they're gonna be ineffective when it comes to trying to address the um, entities, organizations, uh, institutes that were responsible for bringing us to this point. Uh, yet, yet somehow they were they were special people in Jay's mind. System, and with regard to the manifestations of commonality between people who have gotten transfected, I think there are a few people in the world who probably know as many and have seen as many examples that they can confirm are very similar to one another as Dr. Ryan Cole. So we've got to defer to that experience at, at minimum. So the amount of spike protein by, by those adenovirus shots was a lot up front, but then would taper. Whereas Pfizer and Moderna are this persistent low grade, just spitting basically of spike protein over time because the body doesn't break down. This I'm not sure how much data there is on this idea that the, the adenovirus vaccines were a big spike of vex, a big spike of antigen, and then they go away versus the mRNA being a lower spike, but a more sustained plateau. But if that's the case, it could be a very legitimate mechanistic explanation for why, um, it's also, again, would, would, would explain why the temporal correlation between vaccination and the event was... I, I think it's probably more just to do with the fidelity that the adenoviral vector brings. You know, it didn't need such special handling. 
um, the ability to, you know, you're essentially making a plasmid of DNA and inserting it into uh, the adenovirus. Um, and so, you know, the, yeah, it's very likely that you just got a sh sharper jolt of high, higher fidelity spike protein. Was more prominent at first, at least, in some of these adenovirus-based shots. Synthetic mRNA. And so this, this criticism, oh gosh, mRNA, you know, it's safe, it gets broken down in a few minutes to a few hours in the body. Yeah, sure, real mRNA does. You know, you and I are making it right now to make muscle and bone and, and healthy skin cells. You know, we're sending messages from cells in our body all day long to make proteins. Naturally, we need a certain amount of protein, the body turns the signal off. Well, these synthetic mRNAs that were formulated to evade the immune system, those persist. And there's not one good study yet mammalian or human showing when the body stops altogether making spike protein or when these mRNA, this synthetic mRNA shots Pfizer and Moderna are actually degraded. That's, that's the big concern. Do you think it's because um, with the adenovirus vector vaccine, those are... I just want to also point out that the other danger here is that when the endothelial cells get transfected, even, and that's the way you should think about it, what portion of the total injection goes to <clears throat> endothelial cells? That's the question you have to ask <clears throat> because a certain amount of the injection is not going to stay at the injection site. It could be 90%, 95%, it could be 50%, but whatever escapes, whatever leaks, whatever diffuses from the injection site will inevitably diffuse either through the lymph or through the blood. And in so doing, it can travel anywhere. If you're then have to accept that there's a certain amount of trace transfection at best and, and significant transfection at worst that will occur in the endothelial cells of small vessels and in so doing, attract the attention of neutrophils, which will destroy them, release the... Let's see. Now, Kev, his main issue is that these Robert Malone-type figures are hijacking the narrative, focusing only on Spike. Takes issue with those people. No, he takes issue with fucking everyone. Um, he's done it to me. He's done call-out streams from me. And um, I don't... Like I say, I've, I think he's been wrong for a long, long time. Sorry. Um... Weapon deployed on the public by the health authorities, they could use lots of technologies to do this. I don't get the focus on gene transfection or military, whatever. Um, by the way, I think what him and Mark are doing is useless. Just trying to provide some clarity in what I believe their stance is. Look, I think um, what Mark does is break down networks. And that is a very valuable um, skill set that he brings um this uh this fantasy bio or nonsense biology that uh jay is engaging in um it isn't helping anyone and you know <laughs> their their dismissal of diffuse i think is insane where literally in that document they lay out everything clones attack dc sign um Use humanized mice. Figure out delivery mechanisms. And that is a, um, that document is admissible in court. And um, ev everything in it just shows intent and it builds on their previous research and plays into their current research directions. What you've got to do is pull down the or remove the glasses or the blinders to show that these programs are disguised by warfare programs 
from a layman point of view also man it pisses me off beyond belief that jc won't talk to you guys it's just really sus yeah I, like i say he's shown a lot of sus behaviors um he wants me to open oh. that's kind of Lipid nanoparticles have delivered RNA to hepatocytes in patients underscoring the potential impact of non-liver delivery. Uh, scientists can shift LMP tropism to the lung by adding cationic helper lipids. However, the biological response to these LMPs remains understudied. Evaluate the hypothesis that charge LMPs lead to differential cellular responses. We quantify how 137 LMPs delivered to MR. Sorry. Now, 137 LMPs delivered mRNA to 19 cell types in vivo. Consistent with previous studies, we observed helper lipid-dependent tropism after identifying and individually characterizing free LMPs that targeted different tissues. We studied the in vivo transcriptomic response to these using single-cell RNA sequencing. Out of 835 potential pathways, 27 were upregulated in the lung. And of these 27, 19 related to either RNA or protein metabolism. These data suggest that endogenous cellular RNA and protein machinery affects mRNA delivery to the lung in vivo. Um, interesting. Thank you. Collagen release the, um, the, the fibrinogen or the fibrin, whichever one it is. I'll look it up and correct that. I promise. Um, and produce this substrate fibrin and the fibrinogen comes in to try to um, digest it. Um, let's see. Leave him alone. He is a true Christian man with values. He looks into eyes and can feel souls. Legit. <laughs> JJ's facts. Uh, screwed up my buddy bad. Weightlifter. Knocked on his ass for two months. He lost tons of weight. And now his winded easy. Then he got COVID two times. That sucks. A hundred kilo bench press buddy now has high blood pressure. Interesting. I know people have got all kinds of axes and are fine. But I know of some who've died as well. Yes, yeah, same. But that's the, that's the issue that you're dealing with. It's, it's this broad spectrum of responses. And in that environment, it makes it easier for them to dismiss um, concerns about the um, about the technology itself. And there are um, just fundamental issues. You know, I'll, I'll defer to um, annoyed citizen and Dave when it comes to talking about um, micro RNAs, but just expressing amyloidogenic peptide sequences intracellular where they can cause all types of chaos is i'm struggling to see the um the benefit i i, I really am it just it, to me that's what i would propose as a way to model amyloidogenic type disease that's what I'd do to a monkey. Uh, no furin cleavage site in the J&J &J shot. Oh, that's interesting. 
might have been why it was pulled. Yeah, yeah, perhaps. Um, is there not a danger of overstating the extent to which SARS-2 has caused severe illness, death due to clotting, amyloid formation, etc., relative to iatrogenic causes? Um, I think they're both important, right? Because the when when thinking about weaponization, right? Where does where does um, it stop? And I think that God, man, there are ants fucking everywhere. I think that if we're dealing with someone who had malfeasance as a um, strategic goal, they had the ability to look down upon every aspect from changing hospital protocols to the type of agent released to the consequences of infection itself to the novel treatments which were rushed out as a cash cow to pharmaceuticals and some group or individual knew how to line up all those pieces to achieve maximum effect and so it, in my mind, it's difficult to raise um, one death above another in terms of um, importance. Um, people died, people got hurt. And in as myself and Charles said the other day, people need to be held um, culpable. They need, to f they need to feel that there's... Um, Well, there should be consequences, put it that way. Uh, let's see. Obviously, protein misfolding presents longer-term issues, but to this point, it would be hard to identify a pandemic, but for the stage management. Um, well, again, the, you know, you have to, you, you have to take into account different countries. And like I say, I was, I told everyone right from the beginning, Japan seems incredibly normal in how they were comporting themselves except for well masks were just um a thing here anyway still are um the you know but th 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 there's a big suspicion around the um uh, the five eyes countries god i've seen i've seen so many ants i just feel like i'm itching all over just start uh, like meth uh, meth breakdown. Start thinking they're coming out my skin. Um, agree to you about um, Kim Iverson's ass. Um, the heart cold doesn't understand virus. No virus. Um, look, man, you've got to give Cole credit for when he um, shut down that uh, silly cow. What's her name? Um, Weinberger, a, a graphene retard. And, you know, this, like graphene is part of the biotech environment, right? Um, I don't think, I think it was seeded very deliberately um, that they were putting it in there so that, you know, they could, they can turn around and say, see, you're, you're just getting sucked in by disinformation. You've got information disorder, lickspittle. Get back in your kill box. 
Um, uh, <laughs> it says we're all living on a terrain theory, flat earth with big chunks falling from the roof from time to time. That's funny. Um, and, you know, the... I see the, the protein misfolding. It, it just... It, it crosses over so many disorders and all of them, you know, essentially chronic, disabling um, conditions that require a lot of effort to treat. Um, which can lead to these microclotting and the formations that people are seeing under the microscope. Now, where I was going with this is, shoot, um, oh yeah that when those endothelial cells are broken down by the neutrophils and then cleaned up by macrophages, there is always a dice roll with regard to autoimmunity there. Always a dice roll with regard to accidentally forming. Yes, Stuckelberger, thank you very much, Fertif Fox. Antibodies, which aren't gonna help us in this scenario, but make this scenario worse. I don't know what targets they would be, but there's a lot of different examples one can come up with in their imagination that would result in subsequent exposures, not only exacerbating this, this clotting problem, but also possibly provoking a autoimmune response. And so this is also part of, of the game that is being played with transfection that you can use it in a laboratory animal because you're gonna sacrifice the animal at the end of the experiment. You can't use it in a mammal that you wanna live a long, healthy life afterward. From my understanding, they're using a, a virus that exists that's harmless to humans and then they're putting the message inside of it uh, the spike, to make spike proteins and then they're injecting that into us. Is, is, what, is the process that's happening that's different? Is our body then fighting that new virus? You know, it's detecting this new virus. And I'd like to agree with early to mid 80s because I do think that this is the mistake that a lot of us make by again, using their, their assumptions as a starting point. And uh, unfortunately, Dr. Cole is guilty of using, of using their assumptions as his starting point. And what are those assumptions? I think early to mid 80s is right on this. His assumptions are that the shot is pretty well made, that the shot does, in theory, what it's supposed to do, which is make spike protein. And he doesn't have, no one has any data really to definitively show that any of these batches are capable of making spike protein, never mind what else they make. Um, see, that's, that's another shaky statement to be saying, because um, we're, they can check the antibody epitopes they can um they can find spike protein in the blood right and the that would be indicative of it being able to uh, do something now again i agree that there's a point about um the quality levels etc um the all, all of that has to be taken into account. There's the data with respect to, um, you know, the messy expression products when you Western block them. All, all, the, all these things are um, problematic. Um, and the idea of where it occurs, how it occurs, how long it occurs. I know that there are papers out there that have purported to measure this stuff, but that's far from definitive factual data on the bell curve that describes how this <laughs> look man once you've got data um indicating that you know we can um differentiate and see uh these 
these transfection products, right? The, it's not like those studies aren't out there. Um, and again, you know, there's an issue of how much variability there is because you're essentially injecting a pro pro drug. I would argue might or might not work or whatever the curve is. So we've got to be very careful not to jump to conclusions just based on, you know, very, very flimsy card stacking. And it's tempting to do it um, because we all want to know what's going on. But I think at this stage, um, one of our best defenses. <laughs> so we, we ignore the data where um, in myocarditis, they're finding circulating um, spike protein. This, um, the weak points that he's making is to remain skeptical about almost every what feels like a firm handhold. Make sure that you don't rest too much of your sovereignty on that firm handhold because it could just be a trap. <clears throat> it's fighting it off and then it kills it off going through that natural process versus mRNAs. What, what is your body? How does your body get rid of that? I mean, it's, it wouldn't fight it the same way it would this virus, this like monkey virus. What, what's, what's some of the viruses that they yeah. use? I think there's like a, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Know, there's a monkey yeah. virus, a gorilla yeah. or something. Guillain Barr is very common, a very common side effect we're not even really talking about anymore. Isn't that basically what, what just, Justin Bieber got? I think, right, they, they were yeah. using that and they were taking this virus from that, from a different animal that is, has apparently no impact on humans. And then it, do you think it's because the, the system recognized that virus and said, oh, this is something that shouldn't be, are we going to fight it? Unlike mRNAs, it didn't really know what to do with it. I mean, is there a theory as to why that's just what I'm thinking in my mind, but I'm not a doctor yeah. or a scientist. No, 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 that's a great question. And and using another virus to be basically the shuttle for the sequence to make the spike protein was, was the concept behind those adenovirus vectors. And yes, they used other other mammal adenoviruses. So, you know, hopefully or supposedly they won't cause quite an infectious type process in humans. Well, that's an interesting, hopefully, uh, very interesting, hopefully. And it's also a very interesting, hopefully, that the immune response won't be to the adenovirus instead of the protein that the adenovirus is supposedly going to shuttle in by DNA and express it places. I don't know what to tell you guys, but we know that we've been bamboozled. We know that we've been... <laughs> Someone's been bamboozled. ...fooled into being exposed to gene therapy and, and tested with gene therapy without, without informed consent. And they've been planning to do it for quite some time. Um, um, this I, I'll agree on. Um... I think this is just a, 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 a ne the next stage in, in a long list of plans that we need to completely, you know, just jump off of and uh, derail. However, you know, the, this technology isn't brand new with the adenovirus vectors. We, we tried this for gene therapy and inborn errors of metabolism going back in the late 1980s, early 90s. And even, even in those trials, in gene therapy trials, uh, there were immense problems with clotting. So it's known that this, this shuttle mechanism of using an adenovirus. He was mentioning Jesse Gelsinger there, more or less indirectly. And if you're not familiar with Jesse Gelsinger, um, I think first and foremost, you should explore Mark Kulak's site, HousatonicITS.com, I think it is. Um, because he's done extensive work on the connections between, not the connections, but just really the, the whole timeline of, of gene therapy as it really started with Jesse Gelsinger, somebody who was given adenovirus-based gene therapy with the idea of replacing a gene that was missing, very much similar to the uh, RNA lady on stage at the TED Talk talking about how they were going to do that with the kids that couldn't digest starch. And um, it's extraordinary because... There are no excellent examples of this technology working well, not even in the best case scenarios where people are going to die. And so we can use this therapy to try and cure their cancer. They don't even have partially good luck here. It's, it's a, they were not at the stage that they...
Jake Crawford says, JC has quite a bit of pride challenging Dr. Ryan Cole. He is what the Bible calls a fault finder. Learners need to be both curious and humble. Mm. Yes. They say they were where all they needed to do was, was encode the protein and do it. And I don't think it's sufficient to say that it was the wrong protein. We've got to be very careful. Virus. It wasn't without risk or harm in and of itself. Now, you are correct in the sense that the mRNAs from Pfizer and Moderna, it is different. This is a, a sequence wrapped in a lipid nanoparticle and then wrapped in polyethylene glycol, which is also dangerous. We can get into that. And, and so it's not a virus. It's, it's a little fat package with a sequence in it. And then that sequence hijacks your cells and makes your cells into a spike protein factory, which, as, as many people may have heard me say in a hearing with Senator Johnson, um, human cells are meant to make human proteins. And it's interesting because just as he says that, it occurs to me that that it's rather interesting that a virus has a genome of 30,000 30, bases and it has all these non-structural proteins that virologists have told us over the decades are responsible for hijacking the cell's machinery, for turning off the cell's immune response, for, for interfering with... Wait, 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 wait. There's no, there's no comparison in complexity between a virus and essentially a lipid nanoparticle containing a short read of um, mRNA. The, um, the body is acutely tuned to be looking for those um, viral peptides. And um, I'm not sure where, where he's going with this, but it seems a bizarre statement to make these other regulatory processes so that viral replication can occur. So it's kind of interesting that in the context of viruses, they need like all kinds of mystery proteins in order to, to do the job that they do, but. <laughs> mystery proteins? You know, I actually think we're doing, you know, you've got to sit back sometimes and say some of the technology they can bring to bear these days is pretty impressive. I think they've done a good job of, um, cataloging and um, determining their function. Maybe we don't have it all down, but um, certainly it's not, uh, it's not a black box uh, mystery. The, the, the RNA shot is able to turn cells into little pro spike protein factories with no extra proteins. Just a spike protein of Moderna's adjusted sequence is sufficient to hijack your cells and make them into spike protein factories. Does anyone else start to see why this is just a little bit dubious? What are coronaviruses really doing with all those genes? And what are those genes really there for if, 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 if it's just the copying machinery? Could be, I guess. But then what do they have all those other ones for if you can just transfect cells and they'll just do it? I find it very curious that in terms of our biological use of this tool set we've never had to add any other proteins from viruses in order to hijack the cellular machinery we just had to eh, 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 squirt the rna in there turn on some electricity and let the cells take the rna up and there they go they're building the they're building the proteins but, but uh, you know when you're using the adenovirus when you're using the adenovirus um vectors you're relying on its properties and its expression mechanics to get the product that you want and it's again it's way more complex than 
uh, lipid nanoparticle containing a um, read of genetic material. And I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the what the point is. What that ev everything just becomes an opaque mystery. The virus needs all these other components in order to make this all work. I wonder if it's because the virus also has to make its own enzymes to copy itself. And so these things now need protecting from... Oh, okay. So he's starting to get a little bit... Okay. I was going to say, Jesus Christ, man. Um, ...the immune system of the cell or the, the regulatory mechanisms of the cell. I'm just thinking out loud here. I'm not thinking that I suddenly found a snafu or something like that. But it is curious that mRNA in a lipid nanoparticle doesn't need any special chaperone proteins or special lock and key or special um, interfering proteins in order to, as Ryan said, hijack the cell's machinery and, and turn them into a spike protein factory. It doesn't seem like what viruses do are all that complex then, except the fact that they make copies of themselves. So if we could figure out a way to make copies of the RNA, I mean, could we package the RNA of a vaccine with an RNA-dependent RNA polymerase? And then when you put it in, it would make copies of the RNA. I don't know if that works. And then you have more RNA with what? Why does the RNA get packaged? How would that work? Is that all what the viral pro do you see? How much space of unknown and lacking of what I would call satisfactory mechanistic explanation exists there? The space between being able to put mRNA in a, in a lipid nanoparticle and voila, hijack the cell's machinery and make them into a spike protein factory or a coronavirus with 30,000 base pairs and somewhere between 15 and 18 or 20 or whatever it is, non-structural proteins that are involved in hijacking the cell to make it a virus factory. I guess making a virus is more complicated. I guess packaging a virus <laughs> is more complicated. I guess I'm, what I'm just pointing out is, is that there's a pretty vast gulf of understanding between biologists who are very confident in explaining how transfection works and biologists who are very confident in explaining how viral replication works. But I don't think anyone's ever really thought about how those two things are related or not related in the sense of what, what processes do they share? Because if it's as simple as throwing RNA into the cytoplasm and then it'll make the proteins that are there, then indeed a coronavirus could just throw its RNA into the cytoplasm and the proteins will be made. The question is, after the proteins are made, why are they cut the way that they are cut? Why do they get... Those are all mysteries. All just hand-waved away with regard to, oh, the infectious cycle just works. That's just the way it is. And... Uh, I don't know, man. I think they've got pretty good... Uh, pretty good handle on how the... how the transcription takes place and how how and when it cuts and cleaves and um and again the uh, it's a it's, it's what it's a biological entity that has found a niche and uses that particular tool set and you know how many how many genes do you have to take away before you get a non-functional um virus i'm sure that study has been done we can tell because there's there's cytopathic effects. And so in a lot of ways, Dr. Ryan Cole is kind of trapped because he is still using their concepts 
of the infectious cycle, their concept of how the vaccine. Have you got to show that those are, those are wrong? Um, you've got you've got to be able to bring something with respect to. It, it's the same as the no virus people, right? Where they they have a paradigm that they're going to stick to. No amount of contrary evidence is going to change their viewpoint that you know, the things that we we're classifying as um, pathogens are part of that abiogenic pleomorphic cycle um he's coming across uh yeah, yeah it's coming across a little like you know virus people vaccine works their concept of of what the vaccine has achieved. And therefore he's limited in terms of how he can really, really take this apart. Some of the assumptions that we've listened to him have so far is that the shot is relatively pure and that the production of spike protein is relatively pure. Horrible assumptions that we- I don't think that's an assumption he's made. He sa he's saying that the, there are cases where um, exposure to transfection leads to a series of predictable sequelae maybe that's putting it too strongly but um the again the the proteonomics and the testing of what these peptides do has, has been um i don't think we've ever seen anything like it in science where there's just been so much effort and data brought out publicly so quickly pretty much no aren't good ones and then another assumption that I've heard him make a couple times is that the spike protein somehow, the sequence of the spike protein itself is contributing to the manifestation of some of these, these pathologies. And I yes, yes, those have been demonstrated experimentally. Jay, do the experiment to show that that's not the case. That this this is biological nonsense. I think that's very very risky because we need, a, we need a, a good set of evidence to decide whether it's transfection of endothelial cells and autoimmunity, irrespective of the foreign protein chosen, or it's transfection of this special foreign protein that causes all of these things. Why can't it be a combination of all of the above? That's usually how it turns out. I can't tell you how important it is that you understand that subtle but important distinction, because it is part of the enchantment. If you don't see that distinction, then you're vulnerable to this enchantment where they tell you that in five or 10 years, we got transfection all figured out and we can mandate it and the control group is gone. Um, I don't think they need the technology to do that. They just need the digital infrastructure, which they're doing anyway. And if it, it comes down to the choice, what, it, what are you prepared to do? How much are you gonna um, say no to the temptations that they give you with respect to handing over um, your your sovereign rights. Human cells are not meant to make foreign proteins. So once your cells start to make a protein that's not native to human tissues, those become a target of your immune system. So the, the fact that we approach this you know, from two different novel routes, be it an adenovirus vector, or be it lipid, lipid nanoparticles, plus an mRNA sequence, you know, this was all novel. And, and I'll go back to even before that, uh, coronaviruses have never been amenable to vaccination. And we've seen this as the pandemic's gone along. Here we are three years later, uh, the, the shots that some people sadly are still mandating uh, 
are expired because the variants of the virus, the Wuhan virus variant went extinct over two years ago, the BA4, BA5 variants and the bivalents, those are essentially extinct as well. So we now have expired shots for extinct viruses. And if you look at the history of coronaviruses across mammalian species, there are 40 plus species or subspecies of, of uh, coronaviruses in the coronavirus family that affect cows and pigs and dogs and cats and et cetera, et cetera. But we've never really had a successful coronavirus vaccine because this family mutates ahead of our efforts. And when that happens, we, there, there's a condition called antibody dependent enhancement. So everybody talks about antibodies. Well, a good antibody is your friend. And so grandma had measles 85 years ago and grandma's still immune to measles because there are portions of that virus that stay the same for eons. Uh, other virus families mutate now, differently. So there's a reason that Anthony Fauci's holy grail of that. I, I, I find it interesting that he brings up measles here and that's, um, it's one of those things where I think measles is part of the investigation that I yet have to crack. Um, and measles is contained within the no virus theory of, of Mark Bailey because he has at least looked at some of the older measles papers and shown that, well, you know, they're not that great. Um, like any fucking scientific paper from a hundred years ago, you can look at it and say, you can find limitations. Did, did, they, did they start a uh, foundation upon which we were able to build predictions and interact with that, that biological uh, phenomenon? Now, what I, what I want to argue here, and what I think I see at least a parallel, is that the, the viruses the viral diseases, the particles that seem to be closer to what I would call a biological reality, polio and measles, seem to be viral particles whose primary weakness is that they are physical, um, physical puzzle pieces. So in order to make a virus with this shape, you need all three proteins that interlock together to fit perfectly and mutating those proteins will completely ruin the, the capsule and coronaviruses have this interesting quirk that they don't really have that, right? They don't have this little crystal like protein shell. They're just a, they're just a lipid particle thingy with some proteins on the outside. It's very different than polio. Right, it's a different species of virus then. <laughs> okay. And the measles virus, which is also a, a virus constructed of interlocking protein subunits. And so early on in my, reading on this journey, uh, measles virus came up as, a, as evidence for how long-term immunity is built. And they looked at T-cell epitopes that were aimed at a couple of those structural proteins. And because of the geometry of these structural proteins, changing those proteins too much leads to no virus. And so if you make memory to more than one of them and the virus can't change but one of them, then essentially, because the virus is trapped by this functional constraint, the structural functional constraint of the shape of the proteins, it changes very slowly and it gives your body these nice epitopes to find and identify. And because the whole idea is that this is a virus that we don't, I don't understand it all yet and I'm not claiming that I do. But what I'm suggesting to you is that coronavirus is outside of this, this model of how a virus works because so many of these viruses early on were a capsid, thingy inside of a, of, of a, of a protein or lipid pro, lipoprotein coat. And that has been kind of let go in coronavirus. And now we have this nucleocapsid, but it's a protein around which the RNA is purportedly wrapped. It's not a, a structural sphere or, or dodecahedron in which the RNA is encapsulated, which is a lot of how retroviruses and the AIDS virus, I think, 
other viruses are, are described as, enveloped viruses. Is that what they are? Anyway, you know that I'm not the top virologist in the drawer here, but you also know that we are a much broader reading kind of biology here, and we're trying to put this into the context of what things really are. We're not so trapped in the, in the lingo and, and the terms that people are trapped in. And one of those terms... <laughs> this is why you're getting shit so wrong, bro. ...terms is this idea of, you know, a virus. That if we look at measles and we look at polio and what they've told us and shown us about those, those are very different entities than what we're now calling coronaviruses or nidoviruses. And that makes for a very big distinction because imagine the, the, the infinite possibilities here. One of the possibilities is, is that some of these earlier viruses like maybe smallpox, maybe chickenpox and the varicella virus, maybe um, um, measles, maybe some of these pro a polio virus are real particles that we don't yet understand. And maybe some of these exosomes have been lumped in with these more traditional and 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 old school. So SARS-CoV-2 is an endogenously made exosome. Is this is this where he's going? Oh God! Cool pathogens, um, either through a uh, through a malevolent intention or through just sheer incompetence, rather than interpreting them as endogenous signals um, emitted by our body in relation to to interaction with the environment. Abiogenesis, abiogenic pleomorphism. Oh my god. <laughs> so I think we really do, in a lot of ways, need to start to seriously reorganize the way that we think about our interaction with the environment and what our immune system does and the role at this level. And when I say this level, I mean this size range. When you take a sucrose gradient from blood or a sample of any kind, and you spin it down, what's at the very bottom here, which traditionally virologists have claimed, these are all ours. These are all our particles. When in reality, I think we're going to find over the next five years that the vast majority of what is in this fraction is actually a yet unknown and grossly underestimated set of communication between tissues and between immune cells. And they're regulatory, could also be pathological, because that's what essentially pathology is. It's a dysregulation of the homeostasis of the body. And it can be from a pathogen. It can be from a toxin. And it's always very complicated. I don't know how I got here. Vaccines and HIV vaccines. <laughs> <because> <laughs> I've got some ideas, bro. It also has a spike protein of a different type. But 40 years later, there's still not an HIV vaccine. Yeah, it's a different type. But Does JC want us in 15 minutes? No, look, I'll, I'll give Jay credit where it's due with, um, you know, he's uh, nailed on with the fact that we're heading in a very dangerous dystopian direction, and at least at least he's making efforts to talk about that. But the um, the failings in his biology, look, and like I said, you can you should be free to hypothesize what you want, okay? But when it when it becomes counterproductive in um, a what I would consider a very dangerous environment. Um, and, you know, sometimes you've got to call shit out. And he, he's going to say something in a minute that I have to call out because it's aimed at me. Surprisingly, they have a lot of conserved 
areas between the spike protein of HIV and the spike protein of coronavirus. That's the reason, for example, why there was some investigation into um, a general kind of, of fusion inhibition protein, and that's what apparently this Gallagher guy and 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 uh, who was this other dude found already in the early 2000s, right after the first Chinese leak uh, or the first Chinese outbreak of coronavirus in 2002 and three. And so these ideas that 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 vesicle binding proteins have a common hydrophobic element that can be inhibited by common mechanisms or common proteins or common inhibitors or common monoclonal antibodies is a very old idea which belies the fact that many of these spike proteins, because of the way they work, many of these binding proteins may have similar levels of toxicity, similar levels of potential for amyloidogenesis, similar levels of potential for prionogenesis. Yes. Yes. That's, that's the whole point. That's why, that's why we look at, well, like I say, the primary concern in prior to SARS in my discipline was herpes, Epstein-Barr, um, measles, in fact, being one of them as well, because that's uh, neurotrophic. Um, the, we look at those viruses as um, being problematic because of and you know why why do they why do they have this amyloidogenic propensity because it it cripples the environment and makes it more favorable for this for the virus to get to the point where it can it can assemble a full virion to then um infect the the next cell along and this is the point that I want to get to. He's he's going to try and make out that when I'm talk when I talk about amyloidosis, all I think about is SARS-CoV-2. This is not true. It's not true. I've done all. I, I talk about all these different viruses as being problematic. All these peptides as being problematic, and you would never ever want to, uh, or, or you should be very very careful about thinking of using gene gene engineering tools to get them into the cell or the cell nucleus because we're we're still finding our way through what protein misfolding means how it's linked to cancer how it's linked to neurodegeneration these very what can be chronic and debilitating conditions and so it's a it's a clumny that he waves at me that's um entirely uh inaccurate because that's just the way these things are you see i just don't think that it's legitimate biology to paint the spike protein of this particular coronavirus in a light of in light of what little we know and how much we know about the variation of present in nature in this particular protein group if it's there at all when this signal is present it's highly variable and it is not it's just not fair to say that this spike protein is so much more amyloidogenic or, or potential for prions than any other spike protein when you don't analyze any other spike protein along that. Well, you can look at the Tets and Tets study, and uh, they've done they've done that analysis, and they find that for a coronavirus, um, it's way way out of range with respect to the amount of um, preanergic epitopes that we would expect to see. So. 
um, again, this is a unfamiliarity with the literature and the uh, the clinical research that's been going on for decades. Like I said, the the viral hypothesis for these you know, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, it's been around for a long, long time, and basically SARS has just reinforced that hypothesis now so it's much much stronger than it used to be excellent never once have you seen stephanie seneff or kevin mccarn or any uh walter chestnut look at the spike protein from any other coronavirus lies lies i've done it for sars i've done it for flu i've done it for a bunch and the it's available in the literature. So I made the point of uh, let's see. Um, this study. What's this one? 20, 2020. Aggregation propensities of herpes simplex virus 1 proteins and derived peptides and in silico and in vitro analysis. And um, these guys have done work on SARS as well. And like I said, this just emphasizes that prior to SARS, the, and it, it made sense. Focus on viruses that we know impact and reside in the central nervous system. And um, this, the point about SARS-CoV-2 is that, well, it has the furin cleavage site, which makes it more, it, it gives it increased tropism. And the signal with respect to its impact on the brain is not, you don't have to dig very hard for that. And then you have to explain why you're, why you're seeing the types of pathology that we are seeing in the, in the central nervous system and the peripheral nervous system. Um, that's, a, that's a very, very um, inaccurate statement by Jay. and look for amyloidogenic segments, look for potential for preogenic proteins. There's no, there's no search for this. That's bollocks. <laughs> oh dear. I mean, you know. Tets and tets and prion. Uh, this one, this one, and then there's, um, oh, this is a new one for me. I haven't seen this one. Prion-like domains in eukaryotic viruses. Um, this, this is something that in... <laughs> It, it's been part of the landscape for a long time and it just it so it shows me that he's not he, he's trying to gerrymander his view of i don't know he thinks people don't understand this um this domain and uh, they've all got it wrong they all need to be deifying um <laughs> to uh, to understand to understand the real biology, the subtleties of biology, and that's that's not true.
and um, these papers are all in, maybe not this Frontiers one. Um, oh no, this one, they must just be signed here. Yeah, we do have this one. Um, but, uh, you know, it's it wasn't a big leap for me to be talking about these things when SARS emerged, right? So, all right, so what else he's going to say? Because I want to I want to read it. And there's a complete discard for the idea that using synthetic RNA to generate proteins in our cells might actually lead to protein misfolding. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> Holy shit, man. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. It might not have anything to do with the protein. Yes, proteins on other coronaviruses have amyloidogenic signals. We looked at that on a stream a while back with OC43. It's true. And you can you can go and look through many, many um pick pick faster files and, and plug them in and have a look. And we compared it to influenza and um all, all these things and this is something i've been trying to um hammer home to people is that this um they've twigged on to this property and have i think weaponized it to an extent that you know that that's their that's their target point for incapacitation and Um, the study. They had one where they they had like this heat map. They were comparing. Mm, that's not it. Yeah, uh, it's been so long since I looked at these papers, but um, again, uh, it's a very uh, distorted view that Jay is giving. And again, I would, I would say it, it, he's the one that keeps turning around and saying, um, you know, what are people saying? How much are they distracted? That's that's a very obvious. Um, straw man misdirection abuse of the uh literature so we don't know the degree to which covid has an increased ability to induce amyloidogen amyloidogenesis in comparison to other viruses though they're certainly unknowns for this theory and we've done extensive investigation to the best of my knowledge um i i would agree and that's why i think it, it it's, it's incredibly rash and dangerous to think that you can just go gene transfecting it. Um, it, it. It's no joke to be messing around with um, amyloidogenic disease cascades. We know they cause problems. 
Yes, I know my hard drive space is low. Go away. Um, I don't know what. It's three o'clock in the morning. And you made it might just have to do with the synthetic RNA that you put in in the first place. No. No. Oh, man. Now, if that synthetic RNA is not pure, but it's highly variable, could that have the propensity to generate any of these complications? Sure it could. But that's very different than saying that this special little protein over here has all these special little regions, and these special little regions are responsible for... No, this is something that we can quantify, didn't we? And, yeah, you can, you can go find papers. RNA is prions. Um, this is... Uh, the the question here is um, we know that there are these amyloidogenic causing peptides out there what we haven't had is just such a mass influx of it and I can tell you that the God damn. fucking everywhere um, I can tell you that the there was a lot of effort put into trying to understand their contribution to neurodegenerative states. And I've always maintained that the ME-CFS presentation is a consequence of that disease process kicking off in someone who a few weeks earlier was health-wise in a completely different space uh, let's see i'm scared of the long covid awareness indoor air quality fear mongers they say we need to eradicate all viruses go to sleep um i'm not recording locally simon uh um the let's see what else for all this special little terror which for some reason or another a lot of people got that idea in their head very early uh yeah you know why because i've worked with that <laughs> that was my speciality and apparently that makes me part of uh these uh these dark meetings that were going on in the background when no it was just clinical observation and knowing knowing the literature because it mutates ahead of axonal efforts. Coronaviruses do the same thing. They're constantly mutating point by point by point and addition and deletion and addition and deletion, which changes the shape of protein, which changes the sugars that stick to it, which changes the ability of those antibodies to work in the way that they should. So if they bind to the virus and then you know their little tail on the antibody, everybody knows the Y shape of an antibody now. So if that antibody binds and what we call neutralizes or sterilizes, then the body comes and gobbles up the virus it's bound to, hooray, you know, virus cleared. But if it binds to it and doesn't turn off, then your little garbage truck cells, your Pac-Man cells, they come in and then they engulf it and they don't neutralize it. Now the virus uses your own immune cells as a factory as well. And then you end up with even more cytokines and even more inflammation. So we've it, it Trojan horses itself into your immune system. That's a bad thing. This happened with the dengue fever vaccines in the Philippines back in 2017. And so one subtype, serotype of dengue fever, they vaccinated. And then the next season along comes dengue again, dengue season and the children that got vaccinated ended up with more hospitalization and more death the next season. So this is the same thing. Not recording. Um, Hotez, who's, you know, one of the godfathers of vaccinology, he testified in Congress back in March of 20 or April of 20 and saying, look, this is, uh, this is a gamble that we're trying here because 
Uh, it's known in coronavirus families that we can have these enhancement reactions. That's why we never had a SARS-CoV-1 vaccine. It never got out of mammal trials because of this risk and the amount of damage caused in mice and ferrets, et cetera. Same thing with MERS trials. Um, and we knew going into this, you, you, approaching a coronavirus with a vaccine was a scientifically inept idea from day one. Uh, do you think that the vaccines then caused all of the mutations? That was uh, uh, one of the questions about why we had such rapid mutations. Suddenly, there was a, a long period of time when the virus seemed to stay in its in, in original, maybe Wuhan form, maybe one right after that, one mutation after that. But then it didn't mutate for a while, but then suddenly it did start mutating very quickly. And there were scientists early on saying, if you, if you vaccinate, you're going to end up creating more, you know, the, the virus is going to mutate. I still don't know where I stand on this because, you know, uh, a couple of years ago, I was one of the people that was way ahead on that idea. And I wrote a review about that idea and the idea that we were, if the transfections were working and we were building a reliable immune response to the spike sequence of Wuhan, then it certainly appeared as though the spike sequence was now suddenly changing in the data set that we were being presented. Um, I, again, can interpret it very, very pessimistically and say that, well, again, they had this whole catalog of sequences and they have instituted this machinery where everybody is now sampling and, and doing sequencing and putting sequencing up. And so if people had done this in 2019, what would we have found? If people would have done this in 2018, what would we have found? The question is, is there some central place that they're collecting these, these sequences before they are added to the the JetSet database where they are constructing this phylogeny and claiming that they understand how these sequences are evolving. But again, it's not an independent, open source, Wikipedia style thing. And if you investigate it, you will find very quickly that at least for the first two years, all of the sequencing was centralized and controlled by the US CDC. For sure in America, if not around the world, controlled heavily at that level. It wasn't you know, independent sequencing labs all over the world doing this. They were very controlled sequencing labs. And then the database itself is potentially highly edited. And so I, I'm skeptical because the... Yep. You know, we've been able to find, uh, uh, using those databases, um, things you know, to push back against those who would... Um, Push the argument for zoonosis and the uh, the idea that there were raccoon dogs involved and you know the um part of jay's reasoning it, it almost seems to rely on and look is it outside the realms of possibility that there was um the talpiot boys had got in there and were were messing with every bit of machinery linked up every sequencing every um every bit of scientific instrumentation to make it appear like there was um that SARS-CoV-2 was uh, emergent out of the um ether um maybe uh but it I'm I'm not biting down on that when he can't get when he can't get it straight about amyloids and the, the reason why we should be concerned and is making the straw man arguments that he is he's just pushing nonsense so um what i wanted to do was i wanted to get to this paper so we'll do that next after um in the next stream and maybe i'll do that with charles later today and he wakes up um I think I'm gonna call it a day and
Um, you know what to do folks hit the thumbs up I'm gonna do that I'm gonna get to bed and um, yeah that was a very very shoddy um, display of thinking and understanding of the current literature um, quite quite embarrassing and the uh, the quips shot at me that I do not look at these other viruses that's, um, well, I mean, that's just demonstrably false. So, all right, I'm going to um, call it quits. I don't have an outro or anything. Um, so we just have to, short and sweet. So take care. God bless. I'll see you in the next one.